Hello and welcome to Women in Tech, a podcast about the ambitious and accomplished women at MediaMonks. In each episode, we take a look at how these women got here, where they started, who they became, and what they learned. My name is Beryl Chung, and today we're talking to the brilliant Natalie Visser. Natalie is one of our longest serving monks, having been at the company for 12 years. After spending seven years working at our Dutch headquarters, she relocated to open the New York office in 2014, now about to outgrow their original Soho location. From culture shock to looking after her young daughter alongside her job, Natalie's practical mindset and a superhuman ability to stay calm have gotten her through every challenge. Hi Natalie, so great to have you. So, Natalie, now you're at the New York office, um, originally at HQ. How long have you been at Media Monks altogether? Um, I've been at Media Monks for 12 years. The first seven years were in Holland and the last five years in New York. Oh, wow. And you were the first woman to hit 10 years? Yes, I beat um, Gwen by a month. But yeah, I was the first one. Sorry, Gwen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so when you hit 10 years at Media Monks, you get this custom banner with your face hung outside the office. And I understand it was a little bit difficult for them to capture your, your likeness. Was it? Did you feel like it looked like you? No, it didn't look like me. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have purple hair. Um, but I don't know. It's... Uh, it was, it was funny. Yeah. yeah. I think some people have it easier. Like they have a very distinctive beard. They have like a very distinctive face shape. I don't. And then also you're a lady monk. So yeah, probably. They want to keep it nice. Throw a wrench in it. <laughs> and um, I, I do have it in meetings that uh, I always have to introduce myself a few times because I guess my face is not, uh, I don't know. It doesn't have specific features that stand out. That can't be why. Um, but yeah, I got the banner. You got the banner. Yep. How did it feel to get your banner? Um, yeah, that felt good. I mean, it's, it's quite an achievement. I don't think a lot of people stay with a company for so long. Um, and um, it, have, it has been 10 fun, crazy years. So um, happy that, uh, that I made that milestone. So seven years at HQ, mm -hmm. how did they ask you if you wanted to relocate to New York? Um, so I actually was on a long holiday break and um, I was on my way to the Caribbean to stay with a friend for a few weeks and just read some books on the beach. And um, I had a stopover somewhere, I believe St. Martin, and I got a text message from Victor, call me now. So I was a little bit in, in, I was worried because I thought something was wrong. Um, so as soon as I arrived, I, uh, I called him up. I was like, what's going on? He's like, well, do you want to go to New York and uh, help us grow that office? And um, so, yeah, it was a, was a weird situation. So I was sitting on the beach and um, I had some time to think about it. All my friends were saying, I don't, why, what would be your, why wouldn't you do it? Um, and 
I had a week or so to think about it. And when I got back, we had dinner. I was like, of course, I'm going to go to New York. Doesn't sound like a very relaxing vacation after all. Uh, no, it was fine. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I was, uh, I was ready to do something else. So, um, yeah, it was a good opportunity. And uh, it was a typical moment, I guess. I will always remember it. A typical moment? Yeah. For media monks, you mean? Um, well, I'd say how Victor and I would communicate. So um, it was just funny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought something was on fire and uh, it was just a life-changing moment. Yeah. And a huge opportunity. Yeah. But that's the, that's the nice soap opera story about it. I'm sure it wasn't that easy uh, when you actually did it. I'm curious if you had any culture shock moving to America. Um, not so much a culture shock. Like, I think maybe I was a little naive when I went here because I thought it's pretty much the same as in Holland but I need to speak English. Um, and then when you get here, you notice that a few things are different. Um, uh, things that I like is that people always make little conversations and they're open and they talk a lot. Um, but they would also easily say like, things like, let's grab a coffee or let's have dinner. But it's more a polite thing, which I figured out like six months in, I was like, everyone is asking me for coffee, but I never go out for coffee. Um, like those little uh, nuances that are different. Um, I, what I like here is that there are just so many opportunities and everyone is always happy when you're successful or when things go well. And I think in Holland, everything is a bit more moderate. Mm. But yeah, not, not big cultural differences, but it's definitely not the same as uh, back in Holland. Had you lived abroad before, before moving to New York? Yeah, I spent half a year in Canada and I spent a bunch of winters in Austria. So when you started working for Media Monks, it was quite local. And then you've seen all of these offices pop up kind of around the world. Um, has there been any adjustment for you in communicating with different countries, with different time zones? Um, I think the first one we had was London. Um, so that's, that's only our time difference. Um, we had a Dutch team there. So that, was, that wasn't that hard. Then we opened the New York office uh, with the six hour time difference. And um, then you start to notice that it's, uh, that's a little harder. Um, and I think adding all these offices, you start to notice that you have cultural differences, you have the time zone differences, um, the ways of communicating, how you tell something. Like, I think Dutch people are known to be very direct, um, which doesn't always go well with other countries. Um, so that those are all like little things that you need to be aware of and adjust. Um, but yeah. Were there any instances where you, where you really felt your Dutch approach wasn't, wasn't <laughs> communicating well? Um, when I moved to New York, uh, there were some bigger differences and some smaller ones. Um, being Dutch, you're used to being quite direct in your communication. 
Um, and um, my colleague told me after half a year, my colleague Brooke, uh, that he thought that I was always angry because I would answer his questions with yes, no, or short answer. Um, but that's just me trying to be as practical as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, that was good feedback. Um, not being short and Dutch all the time. <laughs> so poor Brooke must have thought, oh no, she hates me. She's giving me these one word answers. What did I do? <laughs> yeah. And um, he didn't tell me right away. So I, I figured out like half a year later, he's like, um, uh, I always thought you were angry, but I'm not. I'm just, um, I'm just trying to be practical and uh, give short answers. I guess in your 12 years, you've had a lot of different experiences, a lot of opportunities. Um, certainly when you started, it was a much smaller team. Um, what was the company dynamic like when it was at that size? In Holland or in uh, New York? In Holland. Oh, it was, um, I think we were all like 20, 20 something year olds. Um, and um, yeah, back then it was just, for me, it felt like a group of friends and we always wanted to make the best and coolest stuff out there. Um, everyone was always willing to help each other out. Um, yeah, it was, it felt like a group of friends doing projects together. Today you're an executive producer, but when you started, your role was probably a lot different, huh? When I saw the job description at Media Monks, it was, I believe, for watering the plants, getting lunch, um, all those kinds of things. Um, and I went in, I had a conversation with the main monk, Victor. Uh, we had a good conversation. Um, it was fun. I liked the, uh, the vibe in the office and I was like, I think, you shouldn't hire me for this. I think I can do other things. And um, he added me to the account team. About how big was the team back then? I think the team was around four people. You mean the whole team or the account team? The whole team. How many people were at the company at that time? Oh, when I started. Um, I believe the whole, th the whole team was around 30 people. Yeah. And of those 30 people, did you have really a really set role did you have like a set number of responsibilities or did you kind of have to figure it out as you went yeah so I worked in the account team so I did all the client management um, but next to that was also producing everything so um, being the project manager and um, helping with the with the financial part as well so you really had that like roll up your sleeves mentality and then also sounds like really strong camaraderie with the 30 people that you saw every single day. Um, is that part of how you dragged everybody on a ski trip for the first time? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I really liked skiing or snowboarding actually. And, um, I saw that group of people as friends, so I thought, let's combine this thing. And um, uh, a lot of people were interested. So I just uh, said to Wesley and Victor, um, do you mind if we just make it like a, a work, a ski trip? And they actually thought it was a good idea. I believe Victor could ski. I don't know if Wesley 
I don't think he ever skied. Um, but they, um, they thought it was a good idea and that's how it started. I just booked a few seats in a bus for the group that wanted to go. And um, yeah, it was all very low key and um, just went into the bus and uh, did a bit of skiing. It's hard to say that it's as low key today. I think ski trip is, and winter sport is something that's really ingrained in the company DNA as it is. And it's grown to something like 200, over 200 people going together to the slopes in Austria. I've met plenty of colleagues who have said they've never done winter sports before going on ski trip. And it's all kind of your fault. Yeah, and it's, I think it's a fun thing. I think it's, um, it's nice to hang out with your colleagues outside of work um, and just do something completely different. But also for new people who never experienced it to join. And even if you don't like skiing, you can always go and, uh, uh, I don't know, walk around the city, party, sleep, swim. Um, spa time. Spa time. So yeah, it's just a, a fun gathering and I'm happy that uh, I help more people uh, on the slopes. That's really cute. I mean, as the company has evolved, Ski Trip has also evolved. Could you tell us a little bit about differences that you're seeing or maybe that you're experiencing because you've also grown quite a bit? Yeah, so when uh, that first Ski Trip, nothing was organized. Like I said, I just booked a few spots in a tour bus and um, we just went there and uh, we made a plan ourselves. Um, now we have um, big parties um, every day. And um, yeah, it's, it's a big organization now. It's 200 people. Um, so you need to find a hotel or a resort that can deal with a group like that. Um, and what has changed? I don't know, I, I, I'd like to say that not a lot has changed. I think the parties are still crazy and I think it's always the goal to keep them a little bit crazy. Um, so yeah. Or did you, did you ever feel like you got to know somebody much differently than in the office, like being on ski trip? Um, yeah, I think especially when the, when the company was growing, like let's say after 150 people, you it's hard to know everyone by name or know what they like or what their hobbies are. Um, so I think the ski trip is always something that um, makes you talk or connect with someone because you're standing at the bar or I don't know. Um, so yeah, I've, I've met a few more people on the ski trip or I learned, learned them a little bit better um, on the dance floor or something. On the dance floor is a great way to meet somebody. <laughs> Or the bar. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you definitely see them in a different context that you probably wouldn't expect. That's why I like karaoke, is because you get to see somebody open up and, you know, hopefully sing something that they really care about. And it's often, it's often, you know, revealing in a way that you really wouldn't expect, you know, something that they go from like shouting in the morning to wake up to, drunk on the microphone, hopefully. <laughs> but it's in that same spirit. Um, so now that we're a thousand people, I mean, it's, it's much more of a challenge to connect with, um, with everyone. 
Um, and I'm sure working with that many people has also changed the company dynamic. So um, certainly when, when it was, you know, a group of 20-year-olds in a basement together uh, working late at night, um, is that something that you feel was a sustainable lifestyle for you? I mean, back then it was fine and I loved it. Um, but growing up and when the company grows, then um, yeah, you just change certain things. But back then it was great. I mean, it was, we would just sit together and finish something because you had to make a deadline. Um, yeah, that, for me that was fine at the time. Uh, now that I'm older and I have a daughter, um, yeah, my, my schedule is a little different. But um, yeah, for me, that was, that was never an issue. So becoming a parent, that was a real catalyst for you to change your schedule. I mean, did you feel like you had to be strict about setting boundaries or, or did the work process just sort of evolve naturally? Um, it went naturally, but I, for myself, I had to set some boundaries. Um, like I was, I was always on, and I think when you have a child, it's fair to say, okay, these few hours are yours, um, and I'm not gonna work while I'm playing with you. So I had to be more aware of that for myself. Um, because otherwise I would do a quick email in between things or, um, but yeah, it, it, it went natural, but I had to sometimes, um, point myself on like, you have to, you only have three hours a day with her, you should spend it with her. That's a lot of, um, that's a lot of internal work. Um, did you feel supported by your colleagues? Was that difficult for you at all? Um, I, yeah, I felt supported. Like I made a plan um, that I would work till five and from five till eight, I would spend time with my baby and I would go online after. Um, and that all went, that was all fine. Um, I think it's more the little voice in my head that it, for me, it was a big change because I was always working and um, I just had to adjust that, but it was more like, like you said, it was all internal. I've never noticed any issues with people um, saying something about me leaving at five. Yeah, I certainly feel like that sensitivity is largely, is largely me projecting it on my bosses. Like I'm more concerned about what their reaction to, to me saying, I need to have a life outside rather than things that they're actually saying. So it's really easy. Like I've had people like make jokes like, like, oh, Beryl, you're not going to work on this one hour flight. Like you're going to take a nap or um, what happened? You used to be way more resilient. You used to bounce back faster. And I think when I've talked to them afterwards, you know, it's not something, it's something that they said very lightly, but for me, like I took it as like very offensive because, you know, I do want to give my all to it. I do want to show that like I really care about what I'm doing and that it's fun for me. 
but it is hard to like kind of tell those voices to be quiet. Yeah, I think a lot of it is um, it's just yourself. I think if you just do your job and the way you do it, that's that's up to you. Um, the only thing that I did, I was just being really clear about it. I would tell everyone like, I'm gonna go at five, and um, uh, yeah, and still I still find it hard. Um, but you know, I, I do my job and I do it well. So yeah, I think it's more an internal thing than uh, than that my colleagues ever say something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess since you guys were were all of like a, a similar age, right? That people sort of progress through their life, um, sort of on the same on the same path on the same schedule. Um, did you see sort of a period where where more colleagues were becoming parents, were starting to build families? Um, yeah, and that's that's also a funny thing. Like when the first uh, colleague is getting a baby or starting family or um, I don't know making certain life-changing um, decisions, uh, and that, that's funny to to see and. You can learn from each other, and I don't know it was exciting. Um, and then again, we also had new people coming in, so I know it's just um, it's. I guess it's just a flow of life phases. Um, I don't know how you say it, like moving on in in the company. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was um, it was a fun experience. What were some things that you observed that you learned from? On the child, g- getting getting children. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. What I what I learned is um, uh, that people had to balance their lives, um, being home on time. Um, that was something that before didn't really happen because we would all make a deadline or something, and now people need to pick up their children. Um, those things that you need to get used to, and um, uh, and we had to adapt as a company. Um, but I guess they're all good things. Um, it's, it all comes with growing up and um, moving on and um, yeah, growing in life. Something I was really surprised about when I um, first moved to the Netherlands is that in my job interview, I was asked, how many days a, w- a week do you want to work? And I was like, I don't know, zero? Like, am I still going to get paid? Is that an option? <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, and so I think it's quite well recognized that a lot of people take Friday as their, as their mommy-daddy days. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's one of the difference, I think, um, in, in Holland. We... Uh, we have a, a different take on that, um, and uh, I don't know if I would do it. By the way, if I would live in the Netherlands, um, but yeah. What did you decide? How many days? Um, I'm five. I do five. I don't have a kid. Um, yeah, but I think it's not it's not per se related to having children. Um, I think. A lot of people in Holland like working four days and having an extra day to do other things. 
I don't know, maybe side projects or maybe just have some time to do sports or things like that. Um, and uh, I think it's good that you have the, the, the option to choose how much time you want to put into work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an American friend also working in, in Holland uh, said uh, he has a colleague who takes Fridays off for ice skating lessons and he couldn't believe it. <laughs> he was so mad. <laughs> Why was he mad? I mean, you also get paid less. I'm going to say jealousy is the number one reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So, yeah, so coming from a, a small team, you guys are all young, not a lot of families, also not a lot of women, right? Well, it was definitely less women than men, um, but we did have a few women. I cannot exactly say how many. Um, but um, especially in the, the account team that I was in, we had a few uh, girls working. Um, so yeah, there were some. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the only one. Sure. Um, what about on like the on the on the coding side, on the animation side, design side? Were there were there women there as well? Um, animation, yeah. Coding, I believe no, no. I guess the bigger question is, is in your experience um, with a male, uh, male-dominated uh, company, um, did you feel like that affected uh, the dynamic and, in particular, how people related to you? I mean, I think it's always good to have a mix of people um, because it just changes the dynamic. Um, I always enjoyed it. Um, I would give dating advice. Uh, I would help with clothing choices. Um, I don't know, all these different kinds of things. Um, but yeah, for me, it was never an issue. And they never, yeah, I never had any issues with it. I want to hear a little bit about, about the early days in the New York office. I mean, that to me sounds like a pretty daunting challenge. It's you and uh, one other person. How many other people? Yeah, so uh, my colleague Brooke was here first. And um, Arthur, uh, he's now TD in uh, LA, uh, was there with him. And then uh, Yuka and myself went to New York as well. So it was, um, yeah, the four of us. And uh, we were in a WeWork office for a few months and um, we found our own office um, in Chinatown after a few months. So we had to set that all up, uh, hire people, um, work with the team in Amsterdam, figuring out how to deal with the six hour time difference and um, find a good process in working together. And um, yeah, it was exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. I mean, how many people can say that they get an opportunity like that? To start an office. Yeah, to start an office, to help a company grow, but also get the freedom to do it the way you want to do it. Um, After three months, I gave uh, Victor a call. I was like, I haven't heard from you in three months. Is there anything wrong? Should I be worried? He was like, no, just keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, I trust you. I'm happy. And... uh, yeah, I mean, that's just, um, that's just great. That's those inner voices again. 
telling you there must be something that they're not they're yeah not but it's it's weird right if someone sends you to new york and you before that we would talk every day mm. um and um all the time and then if you move and you don't hear anything for three months you're like okay i don't know what's going on is is there something happening and yeah maybe that's the voice in my head um, but did you miss your daily chats did you feel homesick no no not at all but i mean if you do something that you've never done before um, then at least you're always wondering like am i doing the right thing are we on track um, do we need to change all those kinds of things but we were all on ourselves and we could figure it out and um, yeah i mean it's i think it's pretty, cool. pretty remarkable yeah it sounds like quite an overwhelming task set of tasks not only setting up uh setting up for the company here but also you know building a life for yourself finding your own apartment um learning an entirely new city in a different country um but i guess throughout uh you've always kept this very calm and collected um demeanor uh is i mean that's how you've always been right yeah um it's i think it's also from the outside like uh my head is always spinning and uh, thinking about thousands of other things um but yeah i think that's uh that's mainly my personality and um yeah i guess i'm calm <laughs> i think it's definitely a benefit to the people that you work with that even when things are on fire that you're able to sort of hold it together. <laughs> so Natalie, what what advice would you give to future monks? Um I'd say stop making lists. Lists uh, stress you out because people always tend to add things that they aren't actually working on. Um other thing is uh don't make something a problem if it's not a problem yet. People tend to stress about something that's not there yet or will never either um I think those two things you are known for your very chill calm collected attitude i'm curious is that something that you do consciously um i don't think so i think it's um mainly my character um but yeah i try to stay calm um i don't like it when you feel panicky or when everyone around you is uh feeling a little stressed so i just try to be my calm self and um help out if people feel a little bit stressed and um yeah so i guess i guess it's 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 mainly just character and then i'm aware of it so i try to maintain it so even when there's a thousand thoughts running around inside on the outside still chill keeping it chill keeping it chill yeah and you've always been like that, right? Yeah. Well, when I started, I think um uh a little less. Um I'm I think I'm now more comfortable with with the job and um with the pressure. So, yeah, I just I'm more aware of the the calmness and that it helps other people. Yeah, I'm sure when when your project's on fire, when your client's being a nightmare, that the people you work with probably really appreciate having somebody who's the rock. 
Yeah, well, first of all, my projects are never on fire. Clients are never nightmares. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, um, I think I can help with uh, being calm and just give direction, help with solutions. Um, I mean, it doesn't help if we all stress out and uh, run around like headless chickens. Is that a saying or am I translating something to English from Dutch? No, we definitely say that. Okay. <laughs> um, as a mom, I'm sure that also is really helpful, but there must be some panic moments in that. Um, yeah, I think panic, maybe not so much, um, but the first few weeks trying to figure out how you keep a baby alive and uh, when to change the diaper or when to feed a baby. That's, um, that's new to me. And uh, I think I wasn't stressed, but I w also wasn't that calm. Um, but now, yeah, uh, yeah, I, with her, I'm, I'm not stressing a lot. Um, even last week, she put a, a bead in her nose while I was on a client call. Um, and then I'm like, oh, We'll figure this out. Um, yeah, try to stay calm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I added that story to this thing. That's like, I, I, I can't imagine what it would take to actually stress you out, if that's the case. Yeah. Blood, guts. No. Just figure it out. I mean, Probably 90% of the time, there's a solution for it. I always take things as a project and um, I try to find the solution. I think um, there's not a lot that you cannot solve. Wow, that's really impressive. Um, I mean, do you think that Jones is also, do you think that your daughter is also growing up with uh, this like calm, stress-free, uh, attitude? Um, well, that's something that I hope to, to help her with and to learn. Um, but yeah, I wasn't like this always. It's, uh, I mean, it takes a bit of, uh, it takes a, a few years and, uh, a lot of hurdles and, um, learning, but I hope that she can, uh, be calm and, uh, always is, um, looking for solutions, um, yeah. So she's how old now? She's three years old, almost four. She's three years old. Do you see anything of yourself in her yet? Because um, she's growing up very different, right? She's growing up in New York City. Um, what kind of school is she going to? She is going to a Montessori school that's um, mainly Chinese. So um, she speaks a lot of, uh, well, she hears a lot of Chinese and, um, yeah. So she speaks English, a little bit of Dutch, a little bit of Chinese? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's going to be a very uh, diversified kid. Yeah, I guess. Um, at least she knows a few languages. That's at least a, she knows a few languages. I mean, is that something that you, that you like wanted to happen or is it just something that worked itself out? 
uh, worked itself out. I don't, I don't plan these things. Um, <laughs> it, it happened by accident and um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it will benefit her later on. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. Um, yeah, she's just my little guinea pig. We'll figure it out. And, um, but no, it's not planned. I don't do those things on purpose. Um, as long as she enjoys herself, it's fine. So you're not forcing her to go to Dutch school? No. No, she's three, year, three years old. Why should I force her to do anything? Oh, well, you just told my parents that when they <laughs> made me go to Chinese school. No. Yeah. And then I didn't speak Chinese for 25 years until I moved to China. And that's what made me learn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're still small and... Uh, at a certain age, she has to do a lot of things. She has to go to school. She has to do her homework. Um, so as long as I can keep her away from that and keep it playful, then I'm going to try it. That's great. Um, when you were a kid, what did you think that you were going to end up doing? Uh, the initial plan was being a veterinarian, um, but I was really bad at physics. Um, so I couldn't do that and um, I was a little lost and I um, went to university to start uh, to study communication science um, back then internet wasn't a big thing I had to go to school to hand over my essay to my teacher um, only in the second year I got an email address um, so yeah that's how I got into it it was more by accident and um, yeah, I wanted to be a vet. You wanted to be a vet. You worked on the ski slope, right? Yeah. I spent, I think, five winters uh, in a ski resort. Um, and uh, I did it uh, during my, uh, uh, during going to university. So I would skip a few courses that I would do earlier or later in the year. And um, that made it possible to work on, uh, in a ski resort. And that wasn't stressful ever? No, it wasn't. To be honest, it wasn't a super hard. Um, it wasn't too hard. It wasn't super hard? No. <laughs> Enough time to go skiing, go snowboarding and still Manage your guests. Yeah. I did it in five years instead of four. So added a little bit of extra time. Sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, it was also, I, I learned a lot. Like um, I worked in hotels and um, I think every week we had 70 new guests come in and 70 leave. So you get a lot of uh, knowledge about people and how they react on certain things. Um, yeah. I learned a lot as well, and I had a responsible job, um, so it was it was a lot of fun, but it was also a real job. Yeah, those are those are skills that you don't necessarily get taught in class. Oh no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, some of the most valuable skills I learned waitressing and bartending. In fact, it's a good thing that I was so bad at bartending; otherwise, I never would have come back to doing creative, I think. Yeah. Um, but 
Now I definitely see, you know, for our, for our junior creatives that we're encouraging them to do improv, to do theater programs, um, and it's really to, you know, learn those people skills and public speaking that I sort of learned in like my off years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still not really good in um, speaking for big groups, things like that, but I've learned a lot of people skills with all my like on the side jobs that I did next to school. Um, yeah, and I've, I've thought a lot of lessons, so definitely do stuff outside your, uh, your education. See the world, learn a little bit. I think that's all super useful advice. Um, I, I've also heard that your daughter Jones has already been recruited to Media Monks in the future. Yeah. Um, Wesley is waiting for her to uh, follow him up. <laughs> she's going to submit her, her resume for Montessori school and all the languages she's learned. Um, what would you tell her that your, your proudest achievement is um, in your 12 years with the company? Mm, I think helping set up the U.S. operation and the New York office, um, I'm really proud of um, being one of the first to start the whole Media Monks Culture Club. And now it's an official thing. Back then it was just trying to do fun things with the group and um, add some, uh, I don't know, add some fun and, um, I don't know how you say it. Camaraderie? Camaraderie, I guess, uh, to the team. Because uh, if you work hard, then I think you should also do fun stuff together um, to make it uh, at least worth your while to be there. Um, yeah, and I guess just helping grow the company um, to what it is now. I'd like to think that I uh, um, helped doing that, so yeah. All this is your fault. All this stuff is your fault. <laughs> I was a part of it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And finally, is there anything you wish you knew when you started that it would ruin your life and take over and force you to leave your home and your family and your friends? Um. No, not, no, I don't think there's anything that I wish I knew before. I do wish that sometimes I could tell my 27-year-old self to not worry so much, to just take some of the knowledge that you have now and plug it into myself back then. But other than that, no, there's nothing that I wanted to know. It has, I always uh, say that it's just a roller coaster ride. And um, so far it has been fun. Um, so yeah, no, there's nothing that I wanted to know. This is Media Monks Women in Tech. Thanks to all the women and men involved in making this project possible. And thank you for listening. Get in touch at womenintech at mediamonks.com. I'm Beryl Chung.